Welcome back to another episode of the Frankfurt Link. I am Mark Payne, the politics and government reporter for Lincoln KY. I am coming to you from Covington, Kentucky, the home of Lincoln KY headquarters. The Frankfurt Link is sponsored by Roebling Solutions. Link and KY keeps our community updated on policy and political changes with our boots on the ground reporting. However, it can be overwhelming determining how your organization should respond in an ever-changing political climate. Roebling Solutions, led by Shane Nome, uses a decade of experience and relationships working with all levels of government to help their clients achieve specific policy and political goals. Whether it's state house or courthouse, Roebling Solutions will help you bridge business and policy. On May 16th, Republicans will decide their nominee to face Democrat incumbent Governor Andy Bashir in the general election. Twelve candidates threw their hat in the ring for the Republican nomination. Attorney General Daniel Cameron and former United Nations Ambassador to Crowley Craft have emerged as the frontrunners, according to a poll from Emerson College. Agricultural Commissioner Ryan Quarles is polling in third. Former Northern Kentucky Attorney Eric Dieters in fourth, with Somerset Mayor Alan Keck and State Auditor Mike Harmon rounding out the top six. The race has gotten nasty in recent months, with Cameron and Kraft running attack ads on both TV and radio. According to medium buying, candidates in the Kentucky GOP primary race have spent more than $10 million on ads, with more than $4 million coming from the Kraft campaign. Now Republican voters must decide who they want to face Bashir in November. The incumbent has been deemed the most popular Democratic governor in the country, according to Morning Consult, with 6 in 10 Kentucky voters approving of him. With us today to talk about the Republican race is Rick Robinson an attorney, author, and who has worked on the, as the legislative director in the office of former Congressman Jim Bunning. Rick, I think it might be easier to mention what you haven't done in your career. Is there anything that I'm missing? You know, I like to put uh, that, I, that a Renaissance man and a um, mandolin player in an Irish punk rock band. I think that would, that would uh, wrap it up for me. All right, that's, that sums it up. So um, we'll, jump, we'll jump into the race now. Um, sure. We've seen one of the most expensive GOP primaries in Kentucky history. Who do you see moving forward from the primary, and who is the Republican that has a chance to beat Bashir in November? Well, I think the answer to the first part of that question, Mark, is going to depend, as a lot of these races and primaries end up doing, it's going to depend on the turnout. We've seen over the past several years in Kentucky lowering, lowering, lowering. Each year the turnout just keeps getting smaller and smaller, which makes it available for anybody in that race, in that lineup of candidates that that are on the ballot, gives any one of them really the chance to catch lightning in a bottle. And I think what you're going to see happen, in my own opinion, having watching this right now, is that the lower the turnout, the more chance Ryan Quarles has to win. Quarles, who is the commissioner of, of agriculture, uh, you know, busy around the state during his term in office, going around putting together a a a a, a hand to hand type of grassroots campaign. Lower turnout is going to benefit him. The more you get turnout to to increase, now you're talking about the people that have spent all the money in the process having more of a chance probably you know the daniel cameron looking at that but really you have this opportunity for 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 anybody in that group of all the candidates really to catch you know to catch lightning in a bottle and and come up 
and do what Matt Bevan did, but nobody knew who the heck Matt Bevan was, and suddenly he wins the primary and goes on to become governor of the Commonwealth. When it comes to who's the best person to face uh, Andy Bashir in the November general election, well, the voters, the one thing you'll find about voters in primaries, and this I think goes for both Republicans and Democrats, is that they don't really look at the electability question. When they're looking in a primary, they, they more than in, a, in any other types of elections will look at who most aligns with them as opposed to saying, oh, I'm going to vote for this person because I think they have a better chance of winning. So really doesn't become an issue in that. I, I, I have heard from um, different people on the Democratic side who, who each one of them have different views about who they'd like to face, who they wouldn't want to face. But in the end, on a, from the standpoint of you're very, you're, out, you're very correct in your, your opening statement that Bashir remains very popular, and I think that's in large part in that governors who, who seem to manage their way through crises, and Bashir has had several, uh, and remain popular, become the toughest governors to beat. I think that's what you see right now in Andy Bashir. Heading into the final weekend, we see, you know, Kelly Kraft is bringing in Ted Cruz this Saturday. Um, and you mentioned Corals is, is kind of doing a, more of a grassroots campaign. He's driving around the state in the final weekend in his, in his big red truck. Um, how do you think that that, uh, you know, grassroots is going to work out, that grassroots campaign will work out for him in the final days? Well, again, the one thing about Quarles that I find interesting in this race is that if you take a look at the number of voters, the, or the number of donors, the uh, amount of cash on hand and every, everything that he had, pretty, pretty smart in that he <clears throat> saved everything to the end, saved everything to, to pump out there. I think, the, again, in recent primaries, even in this last primary that we saw, <clears throat> it wasn't the people that spent money that won. Look at what happened in, in northern Kentucky, the three... Uh, Republican uh, state reps that that were soundly defeated that were defeated in their primaries soundly outspent their opponents. So again, it's not so much of the fact that it's it's a it's a money race. It's more of a fact I think of a grassroots race. Reiterating, the smaller the turnout, the better for the person that has the grassroots side. As it grows, the person that has been putting more and more money out there earlier now has more name recognition, more things to go on. Gotcha. So I, I was thinking a lot this week about questions to ask you, and, and one of them, um, I was curious on uh, Rick Robertson's take on, on the woke that we're hearing about so much here in Kentucky the past, you know, six, seven months. So, you know, Kelly Kraft has campaigned on reforming the education system in Kentucky, particularly attacking woke ideologies in the classroom. Uh, do you think that message is resonating with Kentucky voters? Here's what I think all of their issues are centering around Mark. And whether you're talking about, you know, woke issues, whether you're talking talking about <laughs> the governor of Kentucky right now, people, somebody running for the governor of Kentucky is worried about the wall, you know, in, in along Mexico and worried about Chinese trade. You know, the, all of these things come down to one thing as they're talking to this. They're all trying to, to get the Trump voter to their 
to their in, into their column. I find this interesting because what you find right now is all of your candidates are all racing in the same lane. So you have you have you have Eric Dieters, you have Daniel Cameron, you have Kelly Kraft, you have Ryan Quarles, uh, and then you have the other candidates that are lesser as they, as they run down and lesser chance of winning. But all of them are trying to to see if they can figure out how to grasp this um, this Trump vote again in a smaller vote pockets that you're trying to get and find out there. I found what is interesting is that as opposed to the woke issues or whatever it is that, that, that the candidates are campaigning on, it's what they're not campaigning on that I that I found interesting because there's a group of voters out there, I think, that still vote on traditional Ronald Reagan economic Republican type of values. Uh, when you look at a, you know, the Barry Goldwater, the, 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 the Ronald Reagan type of Republicans, nobody's going after that vote. Uh, and in a small turnout race, I find that really interesting that nobody's trying, again, got to catch lightning in a bottle, right? We've got to get this pocket, that pocket, some other pocket. Mm-hmm. I see that as a pocket right now that more than trying to define wokeness, uh, it's a matter of trying to, you know, who are they not appealing to in this process? So you mentioned, you know, a candidate perhaps catching lightning in a bottle. Uh, General Cameron is polling at, as the front runner right now. In a poll released in January by Morning Consult, he was polling at 41% to current 13%. Kraft gained significant ground in the latest Fox 56 Emerson College poll with Cameron sitting at 30% and Kraft at 24%. And Quarles, as you mentioned, um, you know, also gained ground in that poll and is now sitting in third at 15%. You know, what do those changes in polling mean? And, and do you think Kraft has gained, um, you know, do you think she's gained more ground? And do you think that that makes her chances or, or perhaps uh, Mr. Quarles' chances better on May 16th? I'd really like on any polls these days. The one thing I find, Mark, anymore is polling data, I think, is so deficient. And it's in large part due to two things is that, number one, you have the uh, cell phone data. It's, it's hard to pull a good sample of uh, voters out there, of people who are going to vote in the primary because of, of cell phones. People don't answer them anymore. They see a number that comes through. They're not going to pick it up. Uh, in the in the days when when I was involved on a day to day basis in campaigns, you could pull a sample in the fourth congressional district for Jim Bunning, where we could actually, with internal polling, predict the election closer than the national polling firms would. I don't think that's the case anymore. So I, I, I'm I'm a little fuzzy about who they're drawing their people from and what they're doing. The second thing that you find with polling anymore is that so many people want to get on the poll and mess it up. They instinctively know when a poll comes in and they want to give it wrong information because they want to mess up the poll. I don't know that the polling data is as big in this race because, what I again, what I see is not much excitement for voting. And depending on what they drew their sample for a poll on, in a low turnout race, polling isn't nearly as effective and nearly as good as a guide. It'll show you trends. It'll show you, it'll show you pulse beats. It'll show you issues that matter. 
I don't know that it's really good at predicting a really good uh, turnout number and a turnout mechanism and the, the outcome of a race as it used to be. So the race has got pretty nasty in the past few months with the top candidates running some interesting ads. Um, one calls Cameron a soft on crime teddy bear and another one calls Kraft desperate. Um, the, nastiness, the nastiness came to a head during a KET debate on May 1st. Do you remember a gubernatorial race in Kentucky getting this contentious? You know, the, that is the funny thing. I think people always say, oh, my gosh, it's it's more contentious than it's ever been. And when you look back at it, uh, uh, all races end up being contentious, all races over time. And they've been have been have gotten to their their nasty dig points. And it's just a matter of the times that define what nasty is now, you know, does it matter? Does it does it push anybody one way or the other? I don't think it does. Um, but again, I think what, one of the things it does do is that it takes a lot of that voter enthusiasm out. It, it drives down turnout. When those, when those things happen in a race and those types of issues pop up, it drives down turnout. So Kraft's campaign kind of reminds me of John Y. Brown Jr., uh, a businessman known for building the Kentucky Fried Chicken Empire who ran and won the governorship on his own personal wealth. Do you see parallels or differences in their campaigns? Um, I think, yeah. well, from the standpoint of the money race, I mean, you have to remember, uh, I, Mark, I... God love you. I don't know that you were around when John Y. Brown was. Uh, well, I don't know that you were even born yet. Uh, I was in college, and I was not. Remember, remember the primary very well, uh, and everybody being shocked and amazed that John Y. Brown had put a million dollars of his own money into into a race, and that's they were they were going to spend a million dollars uh, in a Kentucky gubernatorial race. The first time that. Uh, my my college thesis paper my senior year was new politics comes to Kentucky, and what did John Y. Brown spend money on, and how he went out and did these things, and how he bought you know how he put money into these things, and and somebody like Terry McBrayer, who had the grassroots support, who had the county judges, the county uh, clerks, who had all these people that he knew from over the years, ends up losing in that race, and so. The, the parallel is, I think, similar in this race in that you do have somebody who's doing more of a grassroots effort. you got quarrels. You have somebody on the other end who's putting their own money into the race, uh, a bunch of money. John Wise million dollars is in a, wasn't even a drop in the bucket now, as Kelly Kraft has put in, I think, as of last count, $9.3 million. Mm-hmm. The thing that I think was different about John Y. in that Democratic primary was that it was something new. It was something exciting. It was something, it was a campaign, it was a race that was run in a month. Uh, you had Phyllis George Brown, uh, Miss America, Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders, you know, I mean, the whole thing of just everything in the background of, of, of her being involved in the race. There was a there was an excitement that hit and built up, drove people out and, and drove people to get behind John Y. 
I don't know that Kelly Crafts has, has generated that same type of excitement with the money that she put in. Are there any other things that you are looking forward to when Republicans go to vote on Tuesday? I would love to be in the war room of one of the campaigns because what I would really like to know is where do they see their particular um, voting group showing up? I mean, is is Quarles going to do good in Louisville? Is, does, does Cameron think he's going to do well in Lexington? Is 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 um, uh, is Eric think he's going to do well up here? Does the you know does Kelly Craft think they're going to do good in in West Kentucky? And that's kind of that's one of the things that I think that that I would like to see where they think they're going to do well. And on election day, when they first are getting those first few phone calls in from precincts, and people are going, "Hey, we got something here," or "Man, the turnout is horrible, and we are not doing well." I think that's going to, you know, you're going to feel see very early on this change. And if somebody gets up early in a race, there's not going to be enough votes. You know, when you go into when you start counting in West Kentucky, there's usually not enough votes on a per county basis in this primary. Where if somebody gets up twenty, thirty thousand votes, uh, it's going to be hard to make up as you move into West Kentucky after the polls close. How important is Northern Kentucky into that statewide equation? Very much so, because of the turnout of the voters. And if you look at a traditional, you know, if you if you look at, for instance, the the, the different people that have won primaries up here, Matt Bevan being a perfect example of, if you can get out in front and get a good lead going in Northern Kentucky, man, that's a great that's a great boost for you going to the rest of the state. So. Bevan did well in 2015, but four years later, the voters in Campbell and Kenton County seem to kind of turn on Mr. Bevan for a couple of different reasons. Um, you know, he walked into a campaign event the night before the election, and after being told by his staff, whatever you do, don't mention polls or tolls, the first thing that he did when he, when he got onto the stage, he said, well, by the way, we're not going to build a bridge unless there's tolls on it. After being told not to do it, just go. All you had to do, Mark, was walk into northern Kentucky and say, I brought you Amazon. I brought you more jobs than any governor in the history of the Commonwealth of Kentucky. Thank you very much. And walk out the door. And what does he do? No, he wants to tell everybody why they're wrong. I hear he had uh, a spat with teachers as well. He had a spat with teachers, but but I, I think that entire race, and I, I know the people that were that were involved with this campaign uh, very well. Several of them have they were out of the uh, the old Bunning camp, and they believe that that was just the entire race right there when he walked in. And and if you look at the margins that flipped up here, again uh, that's. You know, the, he he won by Northern Kentucky, and he lost by Northern Kentucky. And over the years, the the the, the candidates and primaries that have figured that out have either done well, you know, lived by the sword or died by the sword. Gotcha. Well, thanks for joining us today, uh, Rick. Um, that's it for this week on the Frankfurt Link. As always, I'm Mark Payne, the politics and government reporter for Link and KY. Thanks again, Rick. 
Enjoyed it. Happy Election Day. Now that you're up to date on this week's happenings in Frankfurt, head over to RoblingSolutions.com and schedule time to evaluate your organization's lobbying and governmental needs. They're here to help you bridge business and policy as well as bridge Northern Kentucky with Frankfurt.